Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, who is enjoying and basking in the relief of only covering one game this week. Corey Christen, how you doing, brother? I can't tell you the last time I had a Saturday and a Sunday. Oh, <laughs> back to back. This is tremendous. No, I mean... Look, the grind of the season is fun, and you don't have to pinch yourself right now because this is not a dream, Gary. This is real. What Pitt basketball is doing is real. A massive win. Can't understate it over North Carolina to earn the season sweep on Wednesday in the Dean Dome. And, I mean, the way they did it. How many times have we fired up these microphones and got on this podcast and said, hey, here's how they did it. They did it one way. They did it another way. They found a third way. They keep finding ways to pull these wins out and these close wins against the ACC. So just another awesome job by Jeff Capel, by the players. Obviously, Nellie Cummings looked like a star. So tons to talk about within the game. And then, of course, beyond when it comes to pit hoops. Yeah, it was pretty funny to see their leading scorer foul out. Right. I mean, like that, it was kind of unbelievable, especially those last two fouls were a little ticky tack, if you ask me. But so be it. Um, North Carolina's job is to complain about the refing, not me. Uh, I, I thought that um, they would get a bump in the standings, Corey. I think that's where I want to start. You know, we'll get into the game itself as we move on to the meat of this episode. But let's start with the question most fans are asking. You beat North Carolina twice, at home and in their place. You have a better record than North Carolina. You're leading them in the ACC standings. How are you not ranked higher than them? That is the million-dollar question, isn't it? And there are tons of analytics out there. And how many times do we do this throughout the whole selection process when it comes to Selection Sunday where you look at resumes – You look at quality wins, quality losses, quadrant one through four, the NET, BPI, Ken Pop, whatever analytic you want to use, okay? We look at all of this stuff, and most of it is very good in terms of measuring how a team stacks up against another. I I am a firm believer in the net. I'm a firm believer in what Ken Palm does with his analytics, but 
there's also the component of the eye test. That will never go away, right? For as long as we have these evolving numbers and these, these evolving stats that tell us Pitt is better than Team A or Team B is better than Pitt, we will always and forever have the eye test to go off of. We will also always have head-to-head. And this is the important factor. Head-to-head, Pitt has beaten Virginia. Pitt has beaten North Carolina twice. They have beaten Miami. They have beaten Wake Forest. Two, th- that's four wins right there. And when you look at quality wins, quadrant one wins, when you look at beating the top of the league, Pitt has proved that it can do that time and time again. No questioning about it. And yet, they still fall back in the, I believe it's high 50s, 58 now, Yeah. in the NCAA net rankings. Why? Well, a couple of things. Number one, there's no human element going into these net rankings. There's no voting. There's no discussion about where to place them. It's all analytically driven. It's a computer. Remember the, BC, remember the BCS to determine who plays for the national championship in the quote-unquote old days? It was a computer. This is a computer. So whether or not you agree with the idea of Pitt being 58, I don't agree with it. I think they should be higher, obviously, by this point. That is what the computer model says. And the computer model at the beginning of the season had Pitt ranked pretty low. And it's basing that right now as a day-to-day scale based off of the one line that we got at the beginning of the year where Pitt started pretty low. I don't have the exact number. Then started one and three. And by the way, as we sit now, those three losses are not looking good on the resume. Right, and right. that's And that's, of course, driving Pitt back. I mean, I think I said it after the um, Wake Forest game, you know, they're stacking all these great wins up, but we're not going to forget the computers are not going to forget the 29 point loss to Michigan. Let's not forget that it was 29. It's not like they lost by, you know, a bucket or two, 29. They got boat raced in sure. Brooklyn. They lost to VCU and then they lose to West Virginia by, I believe it was, what was it? 80, 59. It was a really big margin. So that algorithm, that formula is not forgetting that and that's going to hurt pit in these net rankings and these standings now the final check for all of this stuff is human brain on selection sunday there is still a committee of human beings determining who gets into the ncaa tournament so even though pit might be net ranked anywhere from 55 to 65 which puts them on a bubble and I put that in air quotes, as far as the analytics go, they will get a boost because of all of these quadrant one and quadrant two wins that they have been stacking this year. So that's, as best as I can put it, it's unfair because for some teams, they need the net. And they need that boost from the resume that they have built and that the computer is giving them. But then there are teams like Pitt and those that are smart enough to differentiate are in these committees. There are teams like Pitt who is getting hurt by that early season swoon that they have since recovered from, and the analytics are not going to forget that. So at the end of the day, Pitt's still going to be fine in all of this. It's just a matter of where they're going to sit. If you look at the bracketology, 
they're anywhere from an eight to a nine seed, basically, or a seven to nine seed right now. They're off the bubble. Which is after, yeah, it's not a bubble. That's that's what I was gonna say. And and when I really when I really think about trying to boil down what you said, because I mean, you said a lot there, and I know it's all good info. But it sounds to me like that's really the blue blood advantage. All right, you go into the season with the assumption that Duke is going to be good and North Carolina is going to be good, and they can fall from there. Whereas Pitt, the assumption is they're going to suck and they have no choice but to climb from there. That's basically what I'm hearing from what you said. Let me put this in a very brief sense and then we'll take a break. I voted Pitt to finish 14th in the ACC this year. Why? Jeff Capel had four losing seasons in a row out of four of him being in Pittsburgh. He had four whole new starters come in from the transfer portal, four brand new pieces to come in. John Hughley was supposed to still be the team's best player, if you remember, the conversation at the beginning of the year. We're not going to forget. We're not going to pretend that that didn't exist because they're winning now. So with with not just you know not that the Nets looking at oh god the ACC writers voted them to finish 14th that's not what happened this is kind of a baseline off of what happened last year and a continuation of quite frankly Pitt wasn't good and they lost a bunch of pieces and they reshuffled the entire roster the recipes worked credit to Jeff Capel of course but the computers at the beginning of the year didn't see it you know as Pitt being anything other than a basement dweller. Pitt has obviously proved everybody wrong. I'm going to say one more thing here before we take a break, and I think where I'm going with it, you can correct me if you like afterwards, but it feels to me like the transfer portal is going to have to cause some kind of a change here because teams are going to change from year to year drastically. So basing anything on what happened last year, unless you have a returning class, is, is really kind of foolhardy. You know, and if it's going to damage somebody's tournament hopes, that's not acceptable. So, I don't know. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back. We'll talk about the game itself. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back to the HTP podcast. Enough, enough of us holding it over your head. It's time to talk about the game. It was a great game, Corey. Great game. Even though, you know, I did have some some trouble missing a few heartbeats. I think there towards the end. Um, I don't even know where to begin. Federico Federico looked like a much more mature player down low. Uh, coming up with some really big blocks, nice rebounding, doing much better at receiving the ball and finishing. Uh, man, if, if that kid continues to evolve at this pace, he could be dangerous come tournament time. That's a whole new weapon that they have not had this whole year. It's been 100% guard play all year. So to have a center step up and do something, man, that's a game changer. Um, obviously, Nellie Cummings was great. Jamarius Burton was Jamarius Burton. Uh, Blake Hinson was awful in this game, <laughs> to be honest, and they managed to win. So that's that's kind of the beauty of this team, though. Different guys step up, different methods to win. You, you touched on that in segment one. What was your takeaway, man? You were in Chapel Hill. That place is, you know, pretty much the field of dreams as it is. What'd you think? Game of the year, environment of the year for the road, 100%. You know, the, the environment at the Pete against Miami was amazing. This was pretty on par with it. I believe the announced attendance was over 20,000. The Dean Dome, first off, is much larger than I thought it was just watching on TV. That was my first time there. And I had a hell of a time. Really cool environment, really cool experience. And I said this about Duke. I said this about Cameron Indoor. You could see why recruits want to play there. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, they know what they're doing there. But when it comes to the game, let's start with Federico because that's where you started. Armando Baycott, the preseason ACC player of the year, Goes 3-for-10 from the field. He finishes with the double-double because he gets to the line a lot. He got fouled a lot. Credit to him for that. But he's shot 3-of-10 from the field still. And got relatively held in check by Federico. Obviously, he had three blocks. Here's something interesting for you. This is Ken Palm Analytics right here. There is one player from Pitt in the top 10 in the ACC in offensive rating. So basically, points per 100 possessions or shots or attempts, whatever, what have you. When you when you factor in all players from the ACC and you remove you remove any measurable for like usage. So like if the player touches the ball X amount of time or whatever it is. Yeah. One pit player is in the top ten in the ACC in offensive rating. It is Federico. He is eighth in the ACC at a 126 offensive rating. So even hmm. though he is not being used a lot Right with 
the guard play Pitt has, you mentioned, with Burton being able to create shots and score himself. When Federico touches the ball, he is effective. He is efficient. He knows how to score when he gets his opportunity. You talked about Burton. He starts 0 for 4 from the field. 0 for 4. Held in check. North Carolina was selling out for him. And by the way, he had the 31 career high against UNC back in Pittsburgh the same day as a Sun Bowl. And they were clearly and cognizantly going at Burton and cutting off lanes for him to drive in. He had to create more shots. He had to find different ways. Nelly Cummings, after shooting like 18% from the field in a couple of games prior, he comes in and shoots lights out, 21 points. And the key stretch of the whole game for me, Gary, was started by Nelly. And I wrote about it in the game story. Pitt went on a 15-2 run and took a five-point lead with, I believe it was about nine minutes left. They took a seven-point lead with about nine minutes left in the game. Yeah. Nelly makes three threes in a row. He scores nine consecutive points in the game. Then you get a, a bucket from Federico and two buckets from JB. And just like that, the game swings on a, on a pendulum. And two of those threes that Nelly hit were extremely hard shots. Hard to hit shots. I don't want this to get lost either about Nike Sabandi and the way that he played. Nike and Federico were each a team high plus 10 and plus minus, which is a very good, important telling stat. Nike. Nike's rebounding was off the chain. Nike's <laughs> rebounding, but his, his penetration in the way he was able to create shots in the paint. He had two layups that he made where I'm like, what's he doing? And then out of nowhere, he finds open space and puts a ball up. I'm like, what are you doing? And then it's like, whoa, I didn't think he could do that. I didn't see that. And then the final stop, obviously, you know, we have to talk about this final 30 seconds, right? Yeah. Henson throws up the whatever you want to call it, layup, shot, whatever it was. Love gets the rebound, takes it the other way. They set up Baycott in the corner, of course. Great job by Hinson getting down the other end and Federico. The trap works. Baycott shuffles his pivot foot, traveling violation, pit ball. Pitt then ran a beautiful, well-executed play for Jamarius Burton to isolate him with R.J. Davis guarding him. R.J. Davis is six foot tall. J.B. is about 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, R.J. Davis can't guard Jamarius Burton. Pick gets the matchup at once, gets the foul call. JB does his job and makes the free throws. And then the defense at the end, right? UNC calls a play to get the ball across half court so they could call timeout. There were 3.4 uh, seconds left on the clock in the game, and UNC tried to do this. They took 2.8 seconds off the clock to get a timeout to have 0.6 left on the on the clock in the game. So they try to work this ball inside to Pete Nance. Blake Hinson has him sealed off. That was the primary option. But what happened was the ball goes to Love outside on the wing, and Nike drop, jumps about as high as I've ever seen a human jump to contest that shot, which never counted anyway. You know, there's a lot of controversy, and I put that in air quotes, about that final shot. And why was there a foul call? Look at the official game book. There is no shot recorded. There is no. It would have no been, been a foul. 
if the shot had gone up in time. It did. It would have been very That's all close. There was to it. It would have been a very close. Con- it would have been a controversial call if it actually counted, but it didn't count. So there's no call, right? What? It's not right. there. It doesn't exist. But they had to find, you know, Burton and Cummings, and it was the very focal point of my game story that you probably read. Punch for punch, 10-round fight, just battling, fighting. And that 10th round, Pitt won that 10th round, that final four minutes. They found a way to win it. And this is just going to carry them. I mean, they're off the bubble. In my book, they're off the bubble for the tournament. They're a tournament team. They are a tournament I would team. think so for now, yeah. I mean, for me, Corey, I think what we saw here, this is the second time around for these teams. You know, um, you, you expect a team like North Carolina, well-coached. You know, a lot of returning players that, that went pretty deep last year. Um, so this is a good unit. This isn't a bad team that, that they beat. North Carolina's not, like, at the bottom of the ACC. They're not having a freakishly horrible year or something. They're a good basketball team. I expected them to probably take this game just through experience and coaching because they can combat a lot of the the holes that Pitt has. Pitt openly wanted to take Baycott out of this game. And North Carolina openly wanted to take Burton out of this game. Neither were successful. and, And that speaks to Baycott and Burton as far as just being great players. But I will say when Baycott was taken out for a few minutes, North Carolina all of a sudden went on a run and actually took the lead. And I think that's something Pitt can work on. They had focused so much on Baycott when they took him out of the game, they had no idea how to set their defense anymore. And it took them about five minutes to kind of figure it out. And then by then Baycott was back in. Mm -hmm. And when Baycott had Guillermo Diaz-Graham guarding him, it really wasn't a fair fight. Guillermo got pushed around. He got bullied by Baycott. They even tried Jorge for a little while. (laughs) I mean, when Federico – so Federico played with three three fouls. He played with foul trouble for a good portion of that second half. And when you're down to John Hughley, when you're down to Will Jeffries, you're down some front court options, you got to have your guys step up. And – Credit to North Carolina for exploiting the Twins. That's what you're supposed to do. Those are inexperienced, quite frankly, small, weak compared to Baycott. And that's what you do when you're Carolina. When Federico was in there, Baycott was ineffective. Federico won that fight between him and Armando. I would completely agree with you. I think, aside, like you said, aside from Baycott getting to the line, which good players are going to do, I think Pitt did exactly what they set out to do. I think North Carolina did too, mm-hmm. um, to a certain degree. Um, in fact, the only reason I think Burton started being able to get opportunities towards the end is because of what Cummings did. Mm-hmm. You know, because they had to make sure they put somebody on him, and he just uh, had that extra crack that he could get a little bit of room to like get a shot every once in a while or drive the lane. Tough, tough game. Really, really close, I think, these two teams are as far as competition level goes. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun to watch. I loved the emotion that each team played with. Loved it. Loved every – I loved the chippiness. I loved the drawing back and forth at timeouts. I love a double technical for as much as Jeff Capel would hate it. 
Um, <laughs> the stuff with Jason Capel, if I can mention real quick, because I'm sure you've heard about it. I'm sure those that are listening have heard about it and are wondering what the hell's going on. You know, Jason Capel played at North Carolina in the late 90s, early 2000s. And ever since 2009, there's been some pretty bad blood between the two. He did not take too kindly to Carolina fans booing at him for wearing an Oklahoma shirt in 2009 when Jeff was coaching Oklahoma in the NCAA tournament. And Oklahoma played North Carolina to go to the Final Four. And it came to another bitter chapter this week where there was the tweet from the UNC basketball account which had you know, a walk on who wore Jason's number and they didn't take Jason didn't take too kindly to it. Probably an innocent tweet. Tinfoil hat time might say Carolina did that on purpose. I'm sure it was really innocent. Just like it's innocent. Every time a pit fan manages to find a reference to 13, nine somewhere that we can bring up to West Virginia. By the way, on Tuesday, Jamie Dixon led TCU, beat West Virginia, and what was their record after that game, Gary? (laughs) (laughs) 13-9. I love it. And every time that you can bring it up, you have to. You have to. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, I I mean, it was just a fun – it was a fun, electrifying – everything about Wednesday's game – and maybe it's easier to say this after a pit win. I would still say this after the if, if they lost. It was just an entertaining as all hell college basketball game. It's everything you could ask for from that kind of environment. We do have some football notes to get to in the last segment, but let's go ahead and just do a schedule quick. We, we always like to do that in these podcast episodes. So we got Louisville on Tuesday, the 7th. Florida State on Saturday the 11th. That's this this coming week. Uh, I would say whew, these next six are probably pretty winnable for Pitt, and they really should come out of it five and five and one at least. I would say, mm-hmm. and uh, if they can go six and zero, oh, yeah, the bubble is a distant memory. Well, if they can go five and one, bubble's probably a distant memory. I like I like two and zero oh this week. Let's start small. I like 2-0 this week. I like them beating Louisville at home. I don't see an issue there. They're just bad this year. We saw that in Louisville. They're bad. And then Florida State's going to be the harder one, obviously, of the two. You know, obviously what happened at the Pete not long ago with the Seminoles winning that game. I think Pitt has a good shot at going into Tallahassee and winning. I think in some ways this is a different Pitt team going into this week than what we saw in the last meeting against Florida State. I would agree there. So – I think it's a 2-0 and week. We'll see. Yeah, I'd also say the student section in any Florida facility is not going to be a problem. So there's that. <laughs> I do think it's going to be a fun week, though, and uh, it's just nice to have Pitt basketball back. One more, one more ACC basketball thing that I just got to get your comment on. Are we seeing the end of the Bayheim era, too? There, there are cracks in the armor, brother. And I don't know if you saw the whole media fight going on where somebody just asked him an innocent question. He kind of went ape on him. If I had a nickel for every time Jim Beheim did that to a student reporter, and by the way, it was a student reporter, shout out to Newhouse, I would have a lot of money. <laughs> this is not the first instance where Jim Beheim has done this to a student reporter. I'll say that much. It's, it's about time. It just is, you know. 
what did Eminem say until I collapse? When your run is over, just admit what it's at its end. This is it. I mean, it's over. Jim Beheim. it's over. You've done enough. You've had 45-plus years of experience in Central New York. You've taken teams to new heights. You obviously, you're an NCAA champion. No one's taken that away from you. You're a Hall of Famer. It's over. Just let yeah. let Jerry uh, McNamara or Red Autry, whoever it may be, just let him take the team over. Just hand it over. Yeah. Not that there's a whole lot of Penn State fans listening to this, but you want you want your coach to retire before he starts having accidents on the sideline. Okay, go to break. Let's just say it. Let's just say it. All right, <laughs> quick break here. <laughs> Welcome back to everyone who's not a Penn State fan from that last segment. Uh, Corey and I are with you, and it's time to talk a little bit of football. And before we spend some time talking about National Signing Day, let's let's go ahead and make sure everyone knows that the pit coach is not a fan of it. Um, very plainly, Corey, signing day is stupid. Signing day number two. That's a great quote from Mr. Narduzzi. Um Care to elaborate a little bit? We got to. This is another doozism. We haven't gotten a bomb from Doozy in a while, so we got to reset here and recalibrate. So Pat Narduzzi goes on SiriusXM Radio and completely blows up Signing Day. He's like, again, like you had the quote there. It's stupid. He said, okay. He said it's dumb, and then he called the NCAA basically a clown show. Like, <laughs> enough is enough with the high school kids. He said you're confusing the kids, you know? You're confusing the players. You're, you're, you know, you're putting all of these different stipulations and days and, you know, all this stuff. He goes, quote, you guys ever hear of something called the NCAA? They're a bunch of clowns. I mean, it's a clown show. Why is it the first Wednesday <laughs> of February? Why is that? It's old school. I, I mean, this is classic. This is classic. Only Pat Narduzzi would do this. And I hate to say this, Gary. I agree with him in a way. <laughs> because we do this December thing for the early signees. And I understand why. Right? You want early enrollees. You want students, student athletes to start getting into school in the winter. Get them to start taking classes in the winter semester, the spring semester. So they could get going with their academic careers and then start getting with the team and meetings and all this stuff, and then the fall camp and spring game and all this stuff. I get it. But look at what Pitt did with signing day. They did not use signing day in February. They used all of their signing day up, essentially, in December. Everybody signed in December. Everybody signed in December. Dejon Reynolds committed and signed late. That's the only late ad that we had here. So – if you want recruiting breakdown or analysis or signing day, a big, you know, you want Corey to sit down at his table and write down a thousand and five hundred words about signing day, this year it ain't happening. Point is, <laughs> while covering Pitt, that's going to be a Christmas present from Corey. That's not going to come in Valentine's Day. Any, right? any more it is. Any more it is. Right. You know, like, it, well, that's the way he's operated for years. He gets most of it done in December. He has yeah. for a while. 
And, you know, if anything, you have, you know, one or two guys. I guess, you know, it used to be, you know, the letter of intent would come in. I guess the kid could still back out. And that used to be more of a thing. I don't see that happening as often now that the portal's there. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like uh, there's a little bit less finality to it. So maybe guys don't feel the need to, like, uh, have a, a back out moment from from the letter of intent. Mm-hmm to actual signing, but I don't know. Anybody that you were really excited about with this class? In particular. And we're short on time, so we should probably just make it one each. I'm going Dejon Reynolds because they needed a receiver. They really did. They needed to get a guy, and they got a guy. Okay. I'm going to go with a three-star guy, all right? Because they got a couple four-stars, too, and I think those are almost just too easy. So my guy is Ryan Coretta. Okay. Offensive lineman, 318 pounds already and 6'5". That's moldable clay right there, man. And I I just love the idea of having a big hoss like that on the offensive line. I think that's that says pit football like almost nothing else. That's item number one. Let's go to item number two. We're doing this rapid fire final segment today. <laughs> we, we have to, yeah. Yeah. Um, you talked to Heather like a little bit at the uh, North Carolina game, and it was just uh, National Women in Sports Day, I think. National um, Girls and Women the, in Sports Day. Is the way Day. it's called, yeah. So uh, I saw it written about 100 different ways on Twitter, so <laughs> I, I would just take a stab at it. What did she have to say? Anything interesting? She had a lot of great stuff to say, and there's a story on our website about it. But to break it down in some briefs, you know, I asked her straight up. I said, where do you feel? everything's at with the strides women have made in sports and where they still need to go and what the next step is. And, you know, she acknowledged tremendous strides. It's a tribute to the women that came before her and in addition to the men who have supported the movement. And look, she made a really good point here about, because obviously the football team has seen success recently, but the success the volleyball team has had, has been able to trickle down into the other Olympic sports or non-revenue sports. You look at men's soccer going to the College Cup, women's soccer to the Sweet 16. Look at what basketball's doing in a way. And now you look at lacrosse. Pitt women's lacrosse is about to begin its second season in ACC competition, and they won an ACC tournament game last year. So things are looking up in Pitt athletics. We've said it time and time again about Heather Like and her administration. The proof is in the pudding when it comes to this. Pitt yeah. is on the rise under Heather Like, and there was a ton of good discussion about, you know, again, the rise in the Olympic sports and with basketball. And, and then I got into some of the um, – another football note here with the uh, Yankee Stadium game. Pitt at Syracuse at Yankee Stadium November 11th this year. And, you know, the conversations with the Yankees, the conversations with QSAD John Wildhack, really good stuff and – you know, the league made made a way to uh, make it work. They found a way to make it work to get that mutual site and that mutual option. If my math is correct, that is exactly one week after Game 7 of the World Series would happen, should the Yankees make it, of course, for field conditions' they sake. <laughs> they, they won't, won't. But that's, they won't, but that's awesome. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have to remember I live another life here, Corey. No, I know, I know. Yeah, the Yankees aren't making the World Series. Uh, football. Let's, One more football note. Yeah. Senior, bowl, senior Bowl. Shrine Bowl. You know, we got pit players working towards the NFL draft. And 
looking at the Shrine Bowl, the standout there, one of the biggest standouts in the country, in fact, has been Haba Baldonado at Pitt. There was a photo on Instagram, I believe it was Tuesday, I could be wrong, but it was earlier in the week where Baldonado was getting one-on-one instruction with Bill Belichick. Bill freaking Belichick, the hood himself, was given Haba Baldonado instruction during that Shrine Bowl practice. And this is a tweet that I'm reading off from uh, Cam Mellor. He's the senior director of the College Football Network, and he does work with uh, Pro Football Network 365 for the NFL Draft. Reading a tweet directly from him, quote, Habakkuk Baldonado was a name to know prior to the Shrine Bowl, but the pit star put his name even more on the map in Vegas. You'll hear his name a lot as we approach the 2023 NFL Draft. So really good stuff, really good report coming out of the Shrine Bowl. I believe that was in California um, about Haba. And then Servassier Dennis at the uh, Senior Bowl. You know, there's boots on the ground down there. Our, our Chris Halleck's down there looking at Steelers. But Voss is there for the um, for the Senior Bowl. And one of the things that I, I've been reading about on Twitter is just about how, you know, he had a good week overall. It was up and down in some spots, but he did impress some people. So a good week in terms of draft stock for a guy like Servasi Dennis and then, of course, for Hobbit Baldonado. Savassier is going to wind up being a steal for somebody in the fifth round. You know, it just feels that way to me. Perhaps the Pittsburgh Steelers? Uh, I would like it, but... They need a know, middle linebacker. They need a middle yeah. linebacker, I mean. They do. They probably need somebody a little bit more 100% to step right in. But, yeah, I, I feel you. I I like I like hearing about that stuff, but it starts to feel like that Kim Jong-un meme from a while ago where he looks at stuff. You know, like, we're, they're like, oh, Kim Jong-un looking at this cake factory and stuff. Well, that's what it is with, with these reports. It's Mike Tomlin looking at an offensive lineman. Mike Tomlin's looking at a defensive lineman. My God, Mike Tomlin looked at a cornerback. Write the story. Write the story. Get it up. Write the story. Yeah. Yep. I mean, so it gets a little old. You take from it what you want to take from it. You know, he spent a lot of time with quarterbacks that he didn't wind up drafting to. So, I mean – it doesn't really matter. It, it, I do enjoy hearing about it, but that's that's about all it's worth. Hey, man, the Steelers, you know, they took Chris Oladokun, should have drafted Brock Purdy. What do I know? I, I don't know how you could possibly <laughs> question anything that Kevin Colbert or Mike Tomlin have ever done. They're the greatest ever. Hey, I, so, hey I, never, I don't question the 49ers, I'll tell you that. And I will also say one more thing about the the national girls and women's and sports thing. You don't have to wait until that day to tell people that you think they're good at what they do. So if you think Taylor Haas is a great writer, tell her when you read something that you like that she does. You don't have to wait for some special day. You certainly don't have to go on Kay Adams' podcast and, and make a fool of yourself like that dude did. I don't know if you guys got to see that or not. But I thought he was about to propose marriage. It was hilarious. Listen, shoot or Just, shoot, man. Shoot or shoot. You miss 100% <laughs> of the shots you don't take. Good for Sean. Sean Sharania is the guy you're thinking of. Shot is shot at Kay Adams. Good for him. You know? If it works. I'm just saying. If it works, good for him. If not, still, good for him. Take your shot. I'm just saying, and I apologize to my mother-in-law for my Penn State comments earlier, just in case you listen. Yikes. Hey, without further ado, H2P. 